This is Toronto Today. Mike Hogan with you on TSN 1050. Coming up a little bit later on in the hour, Josh Lewenberg will join us. TSN Raptors reporter will we'll get a state of the franchise after uh, free agency has opened. There have been some additions, or I guess, re, I guess re-signings, more importantly. Uh, a couple of defections as well. So we'll talk, we'll talk to J. Lou about all things Raptor um, as, uh, as he joins us at 12.30. First up, tonight on this very radio station... Uh, you will hear TFC taking on Orlando. Uh, a big game uh, for TFC as they try to rebound from what happened in Dallas the other night. And the man calling the game joins us now. Luke Wildman's on the line. How you doing, Luke? Hey, Mike. Great to be with you. Oh, pleasure's always mine, sir. Thank you very much. Um, but, but, but just give us, I guess, the, uh, the Coles Notes version on what to expect tonight after TFC coming off a loss. Yeah, they lost for just the third time this season at the weekend against FC Dallas in a, the heat of Texas where they never really got started and were, were two goals down inside 20 minutes. So they really can't afford to do that again. Uh, the fact that they are second place in the Eastern Conference is, is a massive plus compared to you know, where they were last season in terms of scratching their way towards the first down the stretch. So they've given themselves a really good base through the start of this season. Uh, winning 10 games of the 18 that they've played so far. So you know, they've been very, very good at home. They've picked up a lot of points away as well. Uh, just some concerning signs the last two road games where they've lost on the road at New England and Dallas conceding three goals in both of those games. Uh, and they'll want to put that behind them uh, pretty quickly in Orlando tonight where they've, they've traditionally had some decent results against Orlando. Uh, it's it's like any sport where it's a star-driven league and TFC fans have come to love Giovinco and even the peripheral fan that might not know every starter certainly knows who he is. In Orlando, uh, a Brampton kid has done very well on the field but has had some problems off it. Let's deal with the positives first with Kyle Laren. How good is he? Yeah, Kyle Laren is being linked with potential moves to top clubs in Europe. And he's 22 years old right now. You mentioned he's a local kid from Brampton, Ontario. He leads the team in scoring this year. I think it's eight goals that he's got. Um, he really hit the headlines back in 2015. He was drafted first overall from UConn. He won the MLS Rookie of the Year Award that year, setting a new record for rookie scoring with 17 goals. Um, and he's also played 20 times for Canada as well. So right now he's in the position where... There's so much potential. He's still a little bit raw. Um, he has that ability to, to score goals at club level, but hasn't translated that on a regular enough basis to, to national level with the Canadian team as well. But I think where he is in Orlando, he really fits in well to the team um, in terms of the pieces that they have around him, including the, the former World Player of the Year, Kakar, the, the Brazilian who won that award in 2007. And when you've got someone like him providing you the ammunition, um, it's it's relatively easy to get those goals if you're in the right place. And Larry seems to have that instinct, that, that nose for goal, which is great. But the one thing that's been questioned of late, and you, you alluded to it, is um, off the field. He was um, pulled over by the police a couple of weeks ago after returning from international duty with Canada, middle of June, for a DUI. Um, and he's been very honest in the newspapers this week. He made his return last weekend. He says that he admits he has to to earn everybody's trust back, and it was one mistake. You know, he said all the right things, but it certainly gave his reputation a big hit. He's been left off Canada's Gold Cup squad for this, this, this coming game uh, next weekend when the tournament starts, and he had to sit out three Orlando games as well while he went through Major League Soccer's substance abuse program. Um, so that's something that I think the jury's still out on, Mike. We wait and see how he responds. Is it, is it a situation where he can learn from and be a better person and a better player from? And I think everyone in Canada hopes so. 
Is it a, is it a league substance abuse policy? Is it something done by TFC? How, how is it, or sorry, with uh, with Orlando? How has this been dealt with? It's an MLS um, substance abuse policy. So he had to go to uh, some to rehab um, and and be assessed. And I think he was he spent maybe a week or so there. Um, depending on what the situation is, uh, depends on how long to sit uh, out. But once that, once anything like that happens. Um, then you go into the, the league uh, substance abuse po- uh, program and, and you can only play again once you've been assessed the, the right state come out of that program. So fortunately for Kyle Larin, um, he was able to, to come through that within the space of a couple of weeks, just missed the three. Um, but in, 22, in the life in Florida, um, he needs to make sure, first and foremost, he's, he's putting... You know his career first in terms of those choices when he's you know deciding what to do with his spare time, and hopefully this is a bit of a wake up call for someone who, when you talk to to coaches and managers and and people who've grown up with him, you know they would say this is out of character. He has his head screwed on. He makes the right decisions. So hopefully, as he said, this is just one mistake. Luke Wildman joining us, uh, play-by-play voice of TFC there on the radio station tonight at 7.30, taking on Orlando. Before I let this kid go, um, I'm always intrigued by athletes who don't gravitate to hockey uh, because we produce so many hockey players. When a guy's got an opportunity to be an elite player in a different sport, I'm always intrigued by the story. How good, if he were to go to uh, go to Europe to play in, in the Premiership or another league, how good could he be if all the dominoes fall in the right direction? Well, there's the potential there. I would say even at 22 years old, um, one of the things with the draft system here is that by the time you're 22 in England, for example, if you're good enough and come through an academy system in a club, you could have played 100 league games, having yeah, made your yeah. debut as a teenager. So you start a little bit behind the eight ball when you come through the, the draft and you've already been to college, so you're a little bit older in, in, in that respect. Um, but with Kyle Larin, where I would think that he probably would see his future right now is to maybe go to one of those second-tier leagues in Europe, see if he can score goals in, for example, the Netherlands or Belgium, um, and then try and make that step up to England. I'm sure if he went to, to one of the clubs, sort of middle-tier in the Premier League, he would be part of the squad. He might not get those games on a regular basis while he tries to break in. So probably right now, um, he's best, best off right where he is in Orlando, trying to score as many goals as possible, developing as quickly as he can, um, and then maybe make that step towards Europe. But it's certainly something that's on the, on his mind. And he's been linked with a couple of clubs last year, including Everton, um, who are, are in the upper echelons of the Premier League as well. So there could be a big money, big time move down the road for Kyle Lahren. Um, I'm sure a lot of clubs are waiting to see how he responds to the adversity that he's faced in the last couple of weeks. His statistics are very good, just not against TFC. Why have they had uh, success marking him? It's strange. He's got 39 goals in 75 MLS games, which is an incredible return at more than more than one every two games for someone who's just come into the league. Um, and yet, I remember earlier on this season, at the start of May at BMO Field, we, we were really building Kyle Larin up, the, the local kid coming home. Sure. Um, and he had a couple of really good opportunities in that game, which in any other game he would probably have scored. Um, and he missed from close range on a couple of occasions, was denied by the TFC goalkeeper who pulled off a really good save. But he just didn't quite look himself on that night. And I don't, I don't know. I would, I've not spoken to him about whether it's the pressure of coming home, the pressure of you know, having the family and friends there. Um, but you're right, Kyle Lahren, I think he's got a couple of goals during his career against TFC, but not, not a, on a regular basis as he would have liked. And 
him at BMO Field where he just struggled earlier this year to, to really make an impact on the game. And if I recall, he came off early in that game. Um, you know, it, it just uh, it just wasn't you know sort of performance we've seen from Kyle Lahren. Although, you know, we we saw him start the season on fire this year, six goals in the first six games of the season, and he's only scored two since. So I think that consistency is still something that um, he's looking to add to his game. Uh, you mentioned he won't be playing for Canada in the first match of the Gold Cup. Um, I, I'm curious what where the mindset is of a player right now. I know in football, if guys if guys have a, a bye week. Sometimes they're thinking about just getting home, and sometimes there's that distraction, or the all-star break comes up in in baseball or hockey or football or or in uh, basketball, and guys are just trying to figure out their travel and where they're going and when they're getting home. And with the length of the of the MLS season, um, I can imagine this break is very much appreciated by guys just maybe going on vacation or just going home for a while. Is there a chance that maybe the heads are in a different direction when the when the kickoff starts tonight? I don't think so, and it is a two-week break for the players after this game. They don't play again until they go to Yankee Stadium to face New York City FC two weeks from tonight. So they'll probably get maybe a week off before they return to training the middle of next week. Um, speaking to the players, uh, especially Michael Bradley, the captain, he has talked about the commitment and the, the mind space of this team being as good as he's ever experienced in terms of their desire not only to to do well in the playoffs and to to try and replicate the success getting to MLS Cup, but to finish as the top team in MLS during the regular season and win the Supporters' Shield. And I think they'll have been driven on by what happened in Dallas last weekend, albeit with an understrength side, having lost some players already to the Gold Cup, like Justin Morrow and and to Raheem Edwards, Tosh St. Ricketts, some Canadians who've gone, um, albeit the fact that they had some players injured as well. Um, They're understrength they're going into a situation where they won't want to be left festering on what would be two defeats in a row for the first time this season if they were to, to lose in Orlando. So I think even though they've had a quick turnaround with you know three, uh, two games in the space of four days in two very difficult environments in the heat of Orlando again today, we'll see an upbeat, up-tempo performance from TFC with that desire to make sure they, they can grit it out tonight and, and especially... Um, going into this break that they won't lose two games in a row. So I don't think this is the sort of team that is going to start looking towards you know, that beach in Hawaii where they might spend the next seven days. That's our I job. That, well, I, yeah, I wish I, I wish I could look forward to the next uh, seven days in Hawaii. But we got the Gold Cup starting Friday as right. well. So um, fortunately for TFC, I think that the character and the mindset is there, which, I mean, down the years, if you'd have asked me this question two, three years ago, most most years they've been their mind on the beach probably from the yeah. middle of July because they've already been <laughs> done and out of the playoffs. But there's a mentality and a character now built within this locker room that I think will prevent that from happening. Final question. Um, you're concerned about the tempo, I guess. Is that the, the one thing that you want to see in the first five minutes of, of the game tonight more than anything else you want to see if this team is playing upbeat? Well, yeah, and I think that there's a difference between TFC home and away in that when they're home, they really go for the teams and, and very early on they can attack and, and teams sit back. But speaking to Greg Vanny, the coach, yesterday, he's felt actually that in all three of their losses this season on the road, maybe sometimes they've tried to do that too much early on in games away from home. So maybe they will sit back a little bit more in the early stages of this game because what they don't want to do is get caught early on on counterattack. And we've seen at times this year that the three away defeats, they go off at a quick tempo as if they're at home, and then teams are quality 
able to attack and, and actually on that transition. That's what happened in Dallas twice in the opening 20 minutes this uh, the weekend. That's something they can't afford to do. So they need to be better in possession tonight. They need to make sure that they use the full width of the field. And if they go wide and get stretched, that they don't lose, use, lose space down the middle, which is what happened at Dallas. Um, and just generally be solid defensively, which is something that they got caught out on at the weekend, which is abnormal for this TFC team this season. A pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for doing this, and enjoy the game tonight. Great to chat again, Mike, anytime. Thanks, Luke. Luke Wildman is the play-by-play voice of TFC. You can hear the game tonight here on TSN 1050, beginning at 7.30 as they are in Orlando to uh, to wrap up things before they uh, they take a little bit of a break for Gold Cup. Uh, it is, I am, as, I, as I mentioned to Luke, this country is known for producing great athletes, but in numbers, certainly, the majority go toward hockey. And when somebody makes it as an NBA player or makes it as a Major League Baseball player or an NFL player, um, you know, uh, in, in a sport where there is that international aspect that creeps in, uh, track and field. I mean, you look what, what, what the grass has been able to do. It's just, it's, it's just mind-numbing. Um, I'm always intrigued by those stories. And as Luke mentioned, I hope that the drunk driving charge against Kyle Laren was a slap in the face at a very young age. Thankfully, nobody got hurt. That's the main thing. But think about, and there are various levels of mistakes, and I'm not trying to candy coat this at all. It was a really stupid, dangerous thing that he did. But I, there are times when I find it very difficult to throw bricks at kids. Because they're all prone to making really stupid mistakes. I know I did when I was a kid. And that's why I kind of back off. And some kids are perfect. You know, they, they, they seem to come out of uh, this, this mold. And from the time they're five years old on, they always seem older than they are. They're just a little bit more mature. And they never make a mistake. Most kids aren't like that. And here's a kid living the life. He's living his dream, and he did something really colossally stupid. Should he have been punished for it? Absolutely. If he was 30 years old and doing that, I have a lot less sympathy than I do for a kid that age. That's all I'm saying. Dumb mistake. Got away with it. And hopefully the main thing is, and as, as Luke mentioned, I hope that uh, for Kyle Aaron, he learned from the mistake. Um, and, and hopefully that is the case. Kid did something incredibly stupid and got really lucky so many don't. Uh, when we come back, among other things, Josh Lewenberg's going to drop by, get some raps talk in on Toronto Today here on TSN 1050. Twelve nineteen. This is Toronto today. Mike Hogan in until one o'clock, and then Mr. Scotty Mack will take over. Lots of baseball discussion. We had Scott Mitchell on a little bit earlier on, uh, talking about the uh, the Donaldson story that has been going around. But uh, John Morosi this morning wrote a story about that and tweeted about it. So uh, maybe some interest by the St. Louis Cardinals. But if you're a, a contender and have any kind of weakness at all at third base or a gaping wound like the Yankees or Red Sox do, um, why the hell wouldn't you be interested in Josh Donaldson? So the Jays should be able to, if they decide to move him, uh, be able to, uh, to to come up with a pretty strong haul. But I'm wondering, you know, if you're a Jays fan, how you feel about this? 
you'd be sad to see him go. I mean, he is the bringer of rain. People have fallen in love with a guy. People love, what was the old uh, commercial back in the 90s, Chicks Dig the Long Ball? A lot of baseball fans, that's their kind of baseball. Uh, to me, it's not the most appealing. But, yeah, to watch a guy go 450, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty special. Um, so we'll see what happens. They would have to get a boatload for him, and they would have to also make the commitment that, yep, they're going to blow it up and blow it up real good. And that moves, means moving out some other guys. Um, it was interesting hearing the discussion with, uh, with Dirk Hayhurst this morning about the discussion about the potential of moving Marcus Stroman. I just, I don't get that. He's, he's controlled. He's dynamite. He's a ground ball pitcher in a fly ball ballpark. I mean, he's just got so many things going for him. He's competitive as all get out. He's got postseason experience. I mean, he's, he's, he, here's a guy who basically is doing what you would want his replacement to do and maybe doing a little bit better. It's an, it's an interesting time for the Toronto Blue Jays right now, and we will find out fairly soon, I would think, which direction this ball club is going to go. I don't think they're a playoff team. I just don't think they're good enough to put together a couple of runs, which they're going to have to do. Too many teams to pass. Too many other teams are going to be making moves. Too many other teams are going to go on six or seven or eight or nine game winning streaks. It's tough. It's tough when you when you played as poorly as you did early in the season to dig your way out of that hole, especially when you're not the most talented team in the division or, or certainly the league. Uh, Josh Lewenberg, at the bottom of the hour, we will uh, get uh, get to uh, some NBA talk at the bottom of the clock. First up, though, there was uh, a news conference held about an hour and change ago as the Canadian Football League announced its new commissioner. And it's a guy that basically is a dream, you would think, for the Canadian Football League when you're looking for somebody to run the league. Um, It's a Canadian, which helps. No disrespect to any Americans, but this is a unique product up here. And... You know, the whether Jeff Orridge, who I had no problems with as a person, um, whether he was the right guy for the fit because he didn't have a strong CFL background, I don't know. A lot of people thought that was a problem. Others didn't. Um, the new man is a guy named Randy Ambrosi, who, even if you're an Argo fan, you might not remember. He lived in the relative anonymity of the offensive line. He was a teammate of Chris Schultz back in the day, late 80s. And he started for a year, and then he had some injury problems. He ended up in Edmonton, um, where he played on some pretty good football teams out there. After the, He was with the Players Association as a player, so he was interested in the off-field exploits of the league, even when he was still playing. Um, ended up being the North American head of sales at HSBC Securities. He was with AGF Management Limited as the head of sales and marketing and then was appointed president of AGF Funds. I mean, this guy's got a very good background. That's just not all he's been doing. Um, He's got a pristine business background. He's got a passion for the game. He played the game. He will go on the management side, but he's also been very concerned about the players in the past as well. This seems to be... You know, for the 54-year-old guy from Winnipeg, he seems like it seems like the dream marriage. He spoke. Here's the, here. We'll play a couple of clips from his news conference today. Uh, he talked about growing the game in this country. 
fact of the matter is that, you know, what I know is that we've got to grow the game. Uh, you know, we've got to grow this game. We've got to, you know, I was, I've been look, driving around my neighborhood and, and you don't see kids throwing the football around uh, like I think we did when I was a kid. We've got to get that back. We've got to get kids playing flag football. That's why this Bring It In campaign, which I, I absolutely love because it, it does several things. It's, it's kids playing football, which they should. And it's that inclusiveness, which I, I think is such a special part of being Canadian. So, Brian, I, I am hoping and and I'll hold myself accountable to, the, to that standard that I am part of this game. It's wrapped into my DNA. That's uh, Randy Ambrosi, the new commissioner of the Canadian Football League. And he's right. Uh, as somebody who looks to football as his favorite sport and wanting to see the game grow, uh, especially in this market where I've lived for so damn long. Um, it's frustrating to see the empty buildings, not just when the Argos play. Uh, it was frustrating to see the NFL come to town and not sell out the building. The Seattle Seahawks were here when Russell Wilson was a rookie and just ripping up the the NFL. And there were fewer than 40,000 people at, at the Rogers Centre. And if you go to a game at Wembley, you see it's a full house to see crappy teams play usually. Ooh, Jacksonville's in town. In Toronto, that would have been an excuse. It's not an excuse over there. Um, there's Everybody seems to have an excuse as to why they don't want to go to a football game. Um, friends and family at most youth sports games. High school game, forget about it. Nobody's going to those. The NFL didn't work here. CFL didn't, isn't working here right now. The NCAA bowl game didn't work here. Do you remember going to see Ray, Ray Rice play when he was a Heisman candidate? Of course not. You didn't go. Nobody did. Like 30,000 people there or something like that. It's just, for whatever reason, this seems to be the only market in North America that doesn't like going to watch live football. That's not a badge of honor, folks. It's not. Uh, Ambrosi, we talked about his background with the Players Association, now taking over as um, uh, the, the the commissioner of the league, obviously on management side, so to speak. Uh, he talked about working with the players going forward. That one of the qualities that I will like to bring to the job every day is that I, you know, I understand what it's like to be a player. I know how tough it is to play this game. I know that, you know, getting up after game day, you know, when you can barely move and everything hurts, like literally everything, you know, hurts. Um, is going to help me have a relationship with the players. I, I also can say that I, you know, all of the players that I played with, my the, 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 my wonderful friends who I've maintained over the, you know, we talk about this stuff. We we talk about the game. But uh, it, uh, interestingly enough, I've never met a never met a person who I played with, not to this day, not met one who wouldn't go back and do it all over again if they could because they love the game that much. But at the end of the day, it boils down to this. For me and for Jim and for our Board of Governors and the teams, it boils down to doing everything we can do to work with the players to make the game as safe as possible. And part of that, Brian, and you know this well because you've been around our great game for a long time, is you got to protect the players from themselves because they don't want to come out of the games. They really don't. There's... I've just it's hard to it's hard to explain but it they just don't want to let their teammates down they don't want to leave the field they are so passionate and so committed we have to find a way to have our players help themselves a little bit more because ultimately you know you you you're the one you're the one who's lying on the field you're the one who knows 
you know, the difference between, you know, they say the difference between being hurt and, and having an injury. And, uh, and I think they, we have to work with our players to have them help us. That's Randy Ambrosi, new uh, commissioner of the Canadian Football League. One more clip, and let's get to the elephant in the room in this in this market, certainly. And it's it's the poorest attendance uh, at BMO Field. It was it was bad for opening night, opening afternoon. Hamilton's in town, rival, beautiful day. Uh, there was some rain earlier in the day. It cleared out. It was a four o'clock start on a Sunday with the Blue Jays out of town. Okay, that's going to be a good crowd. Well, it wasn't. Little more of a, an excuse, for lack of a better term, last Friday night when the Blue Jays were playing Boston and there's 45,000 people at the Rogers Center. It, it, it's tough to go to two places at the same time. Although I don't know honestly how many people would have left, would have, would have gone to the Argo game had the Blue Jays not been playing. That's where the Argos are right now. As a football fan and a guy who calls the games, it's frustrating to see because I go to other markets and I see how it's working. I drive. 45 minutes west of Hamilton. They're selling out games, all of them. I go to Ottawa, where football died, and you can't get a ticket. It's, it's a packed house, it's jammed, it's a younger demographic, and they're having a blast. I don't know how that works here. I don't know why people don't like going to live football games. The on-the-field product's pretty good. Um, last year, it wasn't, for a myriad of reasons. After watching what happened on opening night, and just if you were if you're not an Argo fan, but you were home watching Sports Center or something like that, and you saw the highlights, which were omnipresent, just the offensive show, the SJ Green catches, the 500 yards passing, you think would have tweaked the interest. If you like defensive football, the Argos didn't give up a touchdown in the first seven quarters of the season. Gave up a couple in the fourth quarter. It cost them a football game. The on the field stuff has been pretty good. Why aren't people going? Who knows? Does the commissioner? He says there's no magic switch. I think for starters, you know, like anything in life, the best solutions are are made over time. You know, there there isn't a. I don't believe there's a magic switch to you know to reigniting the passion for the Toronto Argonauts. But I think we've got an amazing ownership group here in Toronto that are passionate about the Canadian Football League, and that was part of my as my personal journey through this process is. You know, to understand, you know, the commitment of the owners and as we do, uh, you know, Bob Young is here from Hamilton today and a passionate uh, supporter of the Canadian Football League and that you'll now find across this country. So I think what we have to do is work with all the teams and we have to work in Toronto. We have to find a way to connect with the next generation of fans and that's going to take time. It's not a, not going to be a, a simple, simple matter of flipping a switch. But when you've got an ownership group that are as committed to the success of the Canadian Football League as this one is, um, I am completely and absolutely uh, optimistic that we're going to have a bright future for Canadian football here in Toronto. I hope so. That's the attitude you have to have taking over the job as CFL Commissioner, which Randy Ambrosi did today. You saw the uh, news conference uh, potentially if you were watching TSN today. Uh, Switch gears a little bit here. We'll talk some round ball. And the uh, Raptors have been active uh, over the last week or so, and to get a general State of the Union address, the man who covers the Toronto Raptors, or TSN, tsn.ca, TSN 1050, Mr. Josh Lewenberg on the line. Jay Lou, what's up, pal? Uh, not too much, Hoagie. How you doing? I am, I am very well, thank you, and I was very happy boy on Sunday. They brought back my guy, Ibaka, which I was thrilled, and they got Lowry, and they didn't have to give him five or six years, and I was equally thrilled. Sunday was a very good day to be a Raptor fan. 
Well, that's just it. As you mentioned, the three-year term is exactly what the Raptors' priority was going into these negotiations. And not long ago, that seemed uh, like a long shot. I don't think Lowry, uh, the Raptors, or any of us believed that it would be possible to get uh, either player, especially Lowry, locked up for anything less than four years. But the market cooled down considerably. And as we know, things can change quickly in the NBA. I've been saying that Lowry was like the girl who had been looking forward to her prom for years. She buys a new dress. She gets her hair done. Then finally the day arrives and nobody wants to dance with her. Now it's, it's sort of hard to feel too bad for Lowry in this scenario, being that he's coming away with $100 million. Yeah, um, nice. But uh, I think it was probably a fair compromise. Lowry gets the money that he's worth, and believe me, he has proved over the years that he's worth this kind of money. Uh, for the years where he's most likely to be worth it. And now the Raptors, who were sort of reluctant, I mean, they they wanted to continue along this path of winning and competing, but they were reluctant to commit to it for a four- or five-year term where you've got guys getting older, uh, more uh, risk in terms of injury and just general depreciation, but now you've got some flexibility. They can take a few more kicks at the can here, see maybe with a healthy Lowry, assuming Lowry stays healthy, and maybe with Ibaka for a full year, they have a better chance of competing than they did in the playoffs last year. If not, you, you maybe change course uh, when the contracts are up in 2020. Maybe you change course earlier because these are short-term deals you might have some flexibility in terms of moving them. So overall, I think the Raptors are, are pretty happy with where they are, uh, even though they, they did lose out on Tucker and Patterson, a couple uh, of key players in the rotation last year. Key players, but Pat, Pat, we all know the inconsistencies. Uh, when he was on, he was, he was you know, magic. But, uh, man, uh, when he was off, it was, it was tough sledding at times. And then Tucker, God love him for what he brought, but when they needed him against Cleveland, uh, he just wasn't big enough to try and cover LeBron, and I don't know if that beast exists. The player that can cover LeBron, the the uh, the Raps have tried it a couple of times with with Carroll and with with Tucker. What do they do now? Well, that's the million dollar question. I mean, it's it's not going to be easy replacing either of those two guys. Granted, it's easier to replace role players, I think, than sure. it is to replace the guys at the top of your yep. roster, star players. So, this is the preferred. Um, way of building, I think. In a salary cap league, uh, you want to have a top-heavy salary structure. You want to be playing, paying your best players the most amount of money, and as a result of that, you're going to have tough decisions to make in, in the middle to back end of your roster. Now, uh, it's not going to be easy. The means by which Masai has to add talent at this point, his resources are very limited. Uh, one of those ways, again, when you're paying a, a lot to your best players, is to rely on internal development and growth. And certainly that's something that we've heard a lot about over the last few weeks is the young guys. And I, I think there's something to that. Uh, they've certainly spent the time to develop 
guys like DeLon Wright, Norman Powell, Jakob Pearl, even Pascal Siakam, who uh, a lot of guys within the organization I've heard raving about the summer that Siakam's had over the last few weeks, Good. Uh, extending his range a little bit. So those are guys, I think, that have earned more playing time. And for the strength of your organization, you want them to play more, gain more value, more experience. That said, a bunch of the intangibles that even you just mentioned with Patterson and Tucker, the things that they brought, those are not things that are easily replaced by young players. Both of them were, were among the, the leaders in the locker room, the veteran presence that I think Masai has to find a way to replace. As I said, it's not going to be easy. He has, he has his work cut out for him. But uh, I've had a lot of people on Twitter asking me, what's the rotation going to look like on opening night? Uh, who's playing where? Who's playing what position? And to those people, I'll say, breathe. <laughs> Take a step back and remember, it's what July 5th today? Still a lot of summer left, sure. a lot of off-season left. Let's see how things shake shakes out and, and what happens here over the next few weeks. Josh Lewenberg joining us, talking some Raptors here on TSN 1050. It's Toronto Today. Uh, one of the chips that he does have if he wants to make another move, uh, he being Masai Ujiri, is Valanchunas. Uh, if they were to move him and not get a big man back as a part of the trade, um, I, I would assume they would get some sort of big back, but you you would have Siakam, and you would have Pirtle. Uh Pirtle, I really started to like by the end of the season. He's not the offensive machine that Valanchunas could be at times, uh, but he is who he is, right? I mean, he's a rebounder, and and the thing that I like about him more than Valanchunas is he can you know get out and play defense on the perimeter if need be if they're playing somebody who's got a big that can shoot. Could they go into the season with the combination of Ibaka and Siakam and Pirtle and somebody not as good as Valanchunas if they can improve another spot on the team? They could, and they may, but I think that's part of the problem that I sort of alluded to in that last answer is that not only are you now replacing Patrick Patterson and P.J. Tucker, uh, two big parts of your second unit last year, but you could also be looking at replacing any of the guys that you dump for salary purposes now coming up, whether yeah. that's just Valanchunas or a combination of Valanchunas, Joseph, and, uh, and uh, Carroll. So you're now looking at a young roster relying on a, young, a lot of young players. You've got to add veteran talent somehow, some way to this roster. Uh, I do think, I mean, Pirtle, as you said, is certainly not where Valanchunas is, at least not offensively five years into JV's career. But I do the things that sort of make him fit in better with how the Raptors play. He's a little bit more low maintenance at that position. He moves better with and without the ball. Um, his health defense is probably already better than JV. Um, so I, I think that they would feel okay about the idea of starting the game with Ibaka at the five. That's where they prefer him. That's where he prefers to play. And I think it better utilizes his strengths defensively by having him right around the bucket, protecting the rim, rather than chasing out uh, the, the uh, stretch fours at the three-point line as he was last year. And then you've got the combination of uh, Nagara and Pirtle backing him up. As I said, though, I mean, if you're losing all those pieces, you've got to come up with something. And, and that'll be the challenge here 
for Masai, uh, I agree with you with, with Valanchunas in the sense that you look at those three players that have been out there in the, in the rumor mill. Uh, Joseph, for his $8 million, you, you move him, that doesn't solve your, your cap problems yeah. in and of itself. So that seems sort of unlikely unless it's part of a bigger deal. Carroll, uh, from what I'm hearing, the, the market for him uh, to even absorb his salary would cost the Raptors multiple picks, and they seem reluctant to do that. So, I mean, it's, it's about what, if anything, they can get for JV right now. You mentioned getting back another player. Right now, the teams that are able to absorb his salary, they have all the leverage. And sure. what they're basically yeah. saying, from what I understand right now, is we'll take this guy. You don't have to throw anything else in, but we're not giving up anything for him. And the Raptors, as, as much as we talk about JV and his fit and, and the things he can't do, he can do a lot of things well. And, and certainly the Raptors have spent a lot of time and resources um, developing him over the last few years. The idea of just simply throwing him away for nothing is not something I, I think that's appealing to them oh, right I, now. I, I, and it shouldn't be. Um, but I'm just, you know... It, my my concern is still getting that big guy. You know, they the the the, the head was in the right place when they picked up Carroll. It just didn't work out. Right. Uh, the head was in the right place when they picked up Tucker. It didn't work uh, work out. Sadly, Draymond Green isn't available. Right. You know, it's it, it's that kind of player that would be just such an ideal fit here. But I don't know if one is available either through free agency or even via trade. Right, and and this is going to require creativity on the part of, of Masai Ujiri, and I'll also mention Bobby Webster, because yeah. that's a big part yeah. of not only why he was promoted, but why he was brought here to begin with. He was part of the group of the league office uh, back five, six years ago that constructed the old CBA, so he knows the system inside and out better than most, uh, the, the tricks of the trade, the, the wiggle room that you have to maneuver in the in the in the salary cap, so they're going to have to sit down, figure out what they can do, who's out there that's available to them. As you mentioned, either um, sort of in a bargain deal on the market, free agent market, or through trade. Because as I said, you're sort of looking to check off a few boxes right now. You've got a couple of priorities. I think the top one is getting under the the luxury tax, or at least lowering that tax bill. Uh, not only to, to save money and have some flexibility there, but also to be able to maximize their mid-level exception, which they could use to add a veteran player. But then also, you've got to look at, at, at the trade market and see how you can maximize these assets, many of them we just mentioned, to, to get replacement players for the guys that they lost. So you're not relying entirely on these young players. Will you do me one favor before I, before I let you go? Anything for you, Hoagie. I'm not adverse to trading you Manny Machado in our Fantasy Baseball League. Ooh, interesting. But, but make me an offer where the guy that you're offering me doesn't show up on waivers a day later. <laughs> well, I offered you Miguel Cabrera. Just because you're loaded with first baseman isn't my problem. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here. I'll see what I can do. Thanks, Josh. See you, Hoagie. Josh Lewenberg from, uh, from our, our Fantasy Baseball League as well. He's one of those guys, right? He, oh, I want, I want one of your best players, and I'm not going to give you anything. And the guy that I just offered you, you'll find me put him on waivers two days later. Come on, J. Lou. I'm not giving you Goldschmidt for Ezekiel Carrera, <laughs> Lewenberg. Has he done that to you too, Scrizz? Oh, yeah. He wanted Trey Turner for like six weeks. Yeah? 
I should have gave him up because he got hurt. Well, but in retrospect, yeah. Thank you for you, asking you that question. Com- you weren't good, good you call weren't, out. You weren't complaining when he stole seven bases in one week. No, you weren't. Uh, when we come back, we'll get you ready for. Uh, see, we had Scotty Mitch on. Now we got Scotty Matt coming up. We'll promo his show next when we continue with Toronto today, right here on TSN 1050. Twelve forty-eight. Hogan with you. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Scotty Mackin at the top of the hour. Uh, a couple of programming notes. Tonight we've got uh, soccer on this very radio station. 7.30, TFC and Orlando. So TFC and OFC. Uh, and then uh, tonight at 11 o'clock, CFL Weekly with Andy McNamara. And uh, let's see. Tomorrow, Mark Shapiro will be on the Scott MacArthur Show at 1.30. Ooh, that could be interesting. Maybe you'll have traded Donaldson by then. Huh? Huh? If not, it becomes a very interesting conversation. So you all want to be listening to that tomorrow. And then uh, Argos and Red Blacks on Saturday at 7 o'clock. So there we go. Uh, let's see. We One thing that we didn't... Oh, by the way, I'm looking forward to this. Oh, there's Lavigny. Hi, Lavigny. You may know this. I tried to throw this at... Uh, Mr. Lavery and uh, Skrzniak. And they weren't quite sure where to go with this one. But tonight, I'm going to the Horseshoe Tavern to see one of my favorite musical artists from back in the day, late 70s, early 80s, back in high school. Graham Parker is playing an acoustic set tonight with uh, Brinsley Schwartz, his longtime guitar player. You have no idea how... This might not excite very many people listening right now, but for for me, with Elvis Costello being my guy in high school, Graham Parker was kind of Elvis Costello with a horn section at times. But it's just, it's stripped down tonight. It's just a couple of guys with guitars. I can't tell you how pumped I am to be going to see Graham Parker and one member of the rumor tonight. So that will be fun. Um, let's see. On the weekend, we were in this very sort. We were here together, weren't we, Mr. Lavery? Sean Lavery, our producer. We were uh, keeping you company on Saturday afternoon with all of the exploits of all of the NHL teams with free agency frenzy upon us. And one of the fish that was landed by Lou Lamorello and the organization was Ron Hainsey, uh, coming over from Pittsburgh, a uh, member of the Hurricanes. And as a long-suffering Whaler Kane fan, aside from a couple of decent, really decent runs, including one Stanley Cup win, been a lot of bad hockey. So if you're team, and in this market, you're probably a Leaf fan. The only time you really had any interest in watching Carolina play is if they were playing the Leafs. So you may not have been all that tuned in with Hainsey, but for somebody who watched a few games this year, a few more than I really should have because they weren't very good. Um, Hainsey was on the top pairing, or sort of the 1B, 1A pairing, uh, but he played with Justin Falk, and they just kind of said, Falk, go do your stuff, Hainsey will be there, and he'll be the eraser. He'll make up for any mistakes. And he wasn't, he wasn't horrible. He was a very good penalty killer, uh, logged a ton of minutes, and could be a steadying influence on this team. 
you know, they lose Hunwick, so they get Hainsey. Some will see it as a lateral move. Some will see it as a minor step back. Some will see it as a minor step forward. One person very happy is the general manager, Lou Lamorello. Well, uh, we hope he does exactly what he's been doing the last several years. Uh, uh, if you go back to his uh, prior to going to uh, Pittsburgh in Carolina, he played aside the young defenseman who he helped uh, uh, maximize what they do. He's very calm. He's experienced. And he, like Patrick, also his, his skating ability is, is still there. And if anyone watched him in the uh, uh, playoffs last year, he logged, you know, prime minutes against top players uh, throughout that playoff uh, run and successfully um, at Pittsburgh. Uh, and, and he's mature. He, he knows the game. He, uh, he knows where he's at. And he's going to certainly be in our top four. Lou Lamorello saying that, no, he's not a bottom-pairing defender. He's going to be in the top four. Which makes sense. It does. At whose expense, we'll find out. And who knows, it may all change in camp. Babcock might not think he's uh, worthy of top four ice time, but if, uh, if you walk into Lamorello's office, see the depth chart on the wall, you'll see Hainsey in the top four and lose eyes. It may be a different scenario if you walk in and look at the depth chart on the wall of the office of Mike Babcock. He might not have him in his top four. He may have him as one of those swing guys. Sometimes it'd be top four, sometimes it But it gives you it gives you some experience. And this is really, really weird to say with Ron Hainsey. But it gives you some playoff experience. Dude played over nine hundred games in the NHL before he got his first sniff at the playoffs this year. That's insane. And he enjoyed it so much he went out and won a Stanley Cup. And did not look out of place and added a little offense here and there. What, he had a couple of goals and I think a half dozen assists in the 25 games. Had a two-point night in game five against Nashville. Scored a beauty goal. Joined the rush. Now, he may not have done I think it was 5 nothing at the time. He was, he was goal six. He may not have joined the rush in a 1-1 hockey game when he did. Uh, but he joined the rush and got a tasty little feed from Malkin and, and buried it. I mean, it's just, he's all right. You may not know much about him, but he's all right. Uh, That was from Overdrive last night, by the way. So is Ray Ferraro talking about the Leafs as legitimate title contenders? Why can't Toronto be as good as Columbus? Well, of course they are. Absolutely they are. Are they as good as Washington? Why not? So those are are among the better teams that, that I see. And I'm like, Toronto's... Every bit is good. Wow. Wow. Is there a guy whose opinion you value more as coming from a, a color commentator, especially than Ray Ferraro? I think Ray is the best color commentator in the business, with no disrespect to any of the others who may be listening right now. It's not that I don't like you. I just think Ray Ferraro is spectacular in that role. So to hear Ray say that, that's coming from a legit source. That's not coming from a guy who lives in Toronto, works for the Maple Leafs, and or is a member of the Toronto hockey community that's been a Leaf fan for his entire life. It's a guy from BC who played for a few NHL teams, none of which was named the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sees enough of their games to have a, an honest opinion. And that's what Ray says about the hockey team. 
To me, that speaks volumes. This is going to be a lot of fun in Toronto. The last year, if you're a Leaf fan, was probably as much fun as you have had in years and years and years and years. Didn't result in a trip to even the Eastern Conference Final, but damn. The acceleration of the rebuild has probably just absolutely pumped your tires. And for obvious reasons. And here's something like that. You may want to have the foot covering the brake. But it uh, it's going to be another uh, fun season watching guys like uh, uh, like Matthews and, Marners and ne- Marner and Nylander and all of those guys progress. By the way, Marner has become a super Argo fan. Did you know that? He went to the home opener, had so much fun. He ended up going back and, and, and partying with a few of the players at the postgame party. Somebody told me that he bought a round of drinks for, the, for everybody in the bar. He was having so much fun. And uh, he went back and got a suite for the last game. There you go. Good for him. Uh, thanks. We'll do this again on a Friday. I'll be in here for Wheeler. He's back tomorrow. Scotty Max coming up next. Obviously, he'll have his take on the Morosi story on uh, Mr. Donaldson. Michael Skrzniak. Thank you. Sean Lavin. Thank you. The gentleman on the other side of the glass. And thank you for listening. Scotty Max up next here on TSN 1050.